As our kids come forward and uh, would like to invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 1. All right. Wow. Got a few today. AJ, Katrina, y'all have the sprouts. Is that right? And what are y'all doing? Trusting Jesus will help us. Awesome. And Caleb and Kelly, what are y'all? Good kings and bad kings. Good kings and bad kings. Awesome. Well, we're going to be praying for you guys. I hope you have fun and learn lots back there, okay? Let's pray for them. Father, thank you so much for the children and just their enthusiasm and energy that they bring. Father, I pray that as they are back there and that They play games, they sing songs, they read stories about you, that their hearts and minds would open up to the truth of your great love for them. And Father, the same for us in this room as we dive into your word. I pray that you would speak to us, your Holy Spirit would teach us. that we would continuously be transformed more into the likeness of your son, Jesus, Father. We ask you to move among us right now. To comfort and to teach to convict if necessary, Father, I pray that you do your will amongst us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, you can uh, probably tell by my voice that I'm fighting a little bit of that little bug that's going around, that little cold that everybody tends to be getting, and uh, just wanted you to know that this is the season for fist bumps and not handshakes and hugs and and things and so as we greet each other we will fist bump you and all if you want to do that if you don't want to touch me at all I'm fine with that as well y'all I just want you to know that we are I've, I've talked to so many people this week that are fighting this thing and so but we're going to start a new series here in Galatians and um, it'll probably take us through the spring so we're excited about the, what God is going to teach us here. But as you look at Galatians chapter 1 there, in verse 2 it says that he wrote this letter to the churches of Galatia. Now this is different than all the other letters that Paul wrote because in all the other letters he wrote specifically to a city, Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, Corinth, Thessalonica, Rome. He wrote specifically to a group of believers in a church in a city. Here he's writing to a group of churches that are in this region called Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey, southern Turkey. <clears throat> and so th these, these churches he knows because he planted them. In his first missionary journey, and you can read that if you want later in Acts 13 and 14, in his first missionary journey, he and Barnabas went through Cyprus and up into southern Turkey, and they started going through the cities of like Antioch, Pisidia, and Iconium, and... Lystra and Derby and 
and some others, it says, and, and others in the surrounding region. And he went there preaching the gospel, planting churches. And when he returned, he went back through those same cities and he was appointing elders, encouraging them and appointing elders in each of those churches. And so he gets back to Jerusalem and he starts hearing some things that are going on. And it's like within a year or two, he's hearing of what's going on in Galatia. And he sends this letter. And so this is Paul's first letter. And he writes this, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to him or to, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, and so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So Paul here is writing to these churches that he is just, I mean, just think about it. He has gone through this region. He has planted churches. He's reached people. And, and he has turned around and he's encouraged these churches. He is established leadership in the churches and he comes back to Jerusalem he's getting ready to share what's been going on in this region and he gets word about some things that are going on and we'll get to those things in future sermons and uh, of what's going on but basically there is a disturbance going on and Paul is writing this letter to address that but the first thing he does is he entire he gives himself he tells them who he is Paul an apostle now, that's not just Paul saying, hey, I'm wearing my hat here. I'm, I'm, I'm giving me this title here. That's not just Paul. Do. He is setting the, the, the groundwork, the foundation for what he's going to be building on because Paul was sent to the Gentiles. His, his apostleship is not from man like he says here. His apostleship of what he's doing, what he's doing is taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And, he was, and that is from the very beginning. If you'll recall the story when Paul came, when he encountered Christ on the road to Damascus and he was struck blind and he was in a place and then the Lord shows up to Ananias and says, hey, I need for you to go lay hands on this guy so that he can start doing his work. And Ananias goes, wait a minute, isn't that guy the one who's been persecuting the church? Isn't that guy the one that's been kind of messing things up for us? And the Lord said in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. 
Paul here is letting them know right up front. He's just not some regular Joe like these guys who are coming in disturbing, like he just talked about earlier. There are people who are coming in among you disturbing you. They, they might not have the titles. They might not have the pedigree that Paul does. But he's letting them know the authority that he has is not from man. It is from God. And he lets them know that right up front. And he says, I'm not here to please men. As a matter of fact, in the last verse that we just read, he said, am I here to please men? Why would I be here to please men? I cannot please man and call myself a slave to God. Because as he went through that missionary journey, he didn't just go through there and say, hey, I got some good news for you. And everybody embraced it. And he went to the next town. Hey, I got some good news for you. And people embraced it. And he went to the next town. That's not the way it happened. He was run out of towns. He was stoned. He was ridiculed and mocked everywhere he went. That's one of the reasons why there in Acts 9, we just read where he says, and I will show him how much he'll have to suffer. Paul's going to have to suffer for this. So Paul is saying, and no doubt when he was in his first missionary journey, he relayed that story, his testimony to the people that he was sharing the gospel with. He was telling them all about how God had showed up to, showed up to him there on the road to Damascus and how Ananias had come along and laid hands on him and how he had preached for all those years in various places and was building him up in the knowledge. And listen, this, is, this guy... He worked hard and suffered, and God called him out to do this job. He, he told the people of Galatia that. And these other guys that were just showing up were just showing up to stir it up. And as I said, we'll get to them later. But Paul wanted to let them know right up front, I am an apostle. I have the authority of God. And I have a message for you. You need to listen to what this message is. And the message that I gave you at first, the message that I told you about at first, was the gospel. Look at what he says there in verse 4. Well, the latter part of verse 3, he says, Grace be, and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. He gives them just a short synopsis of what the gospel is on what he has fully developed when he was with them. He's just reminding them, I'm coming to you as an authority from this person, this, this God and from Jesus Christ who gave himself up freely for your sins to rescue you from this present evil age. I came to do that. That wasn't, when he was with them, he was fully laying out what the gospel was. But here he's just reminding them, this is the simplest form. This is the, this is the one sentence that I can give you to remind you of all that I taught you when I was with you. This is what the gospel is. Now, Paul didn't have the rest of the New Testament like we have to kind of sit down with people and show them what the gospel is. It's not like the Roman, the Roman road hasn't even been written yet. He hasn't even written the letter to Rome yet. And so the Roman road was not there to him fall back. Oh, Romans 3.23. And if you don't know what the Roman road is, ask someone. That would be a good opportunity if you learn something from someone else in the room here. But he, that wasn't there for him. But Paul did have the Old Testament, which continually pointed to Jesus Christ. He did. And Paul was... Not just a regular old Joe. He wasn't a farmer. That he was raised in the knowledge. He was a he. He was one of the smartest guys in the room when it come to what the Old Testament taught. And I can imagine the stories that he would tell, pointing to Jesus, were something like when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate of and, and, and ate of the tree that he says, "Don't eat of that tree." They disobeyed him. 
And in that time, their eyes were open. They saw their nakedness. They were ashamed. They tried to cover their shame with leaves. And what did God do? He provided them animal skins to cover their shame. There had to be a sacrifice. God's sacrifice covered their shame. Imagine he, t- looked at, he told the story of Abraham when Abraham took his son Isaac up on the mountain there. He took his son up on the mountain because God had said, hey, I want you to take your one and only son there. I want you to take him up on the mountain. I want you to sacrifice him to me. So Abraham was taking him up there and he, la- he laid him out on the altar. And as soon as he was getting ready to come down with the knife, angel of the Lord said, whoa, wait. You have shown yourself that you have feared God. And behind him, there was a ram tied up in the, it was caught in a bush over there. And so he brought the ram and he and his son sacrificed the ram on the altar at that time. God's sacrifice at that time was in Isaac's place. And I imagine he probably told him the story of when the Israelites were in Egypt and they were enslaved to Egypt. And Moses was there trying to convince the Pharaoh to let his people go, to let God's people go. And the Pharaoh just kept this, no, it's not going to happen. And there were one plague after another, after another, signs from God that says, listen, you need to let these people go or things are going to get worse until it came to that final plague where there was an angel of death that was going to come overnight and every firstborn male child was going to die. But the people of Israel knew that they were told if they would take the blood of a sacrifice and paint it over their doorposts, that that angel of death would pass over them. I imagine Paul would sit there and tell these people about how there the angel of death came, the firstborn, and any house that did not have that blood over their doorpost died, but everyone who was in the house with the blood over the doorpost survived. And he, told, and he probably said something along the lines of, and God's sacrifice will save you from the wrath of God. So you can see where he can say that God's sacrifice protected them from their shame and, or covered their shame and God's sacrifice was in their place and God's sacrifice was in, to protect them from the wrath of God and tying all this together to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, especially when John the Baptist would say, behold, when he looked at Jesus the first time, behold, the Lamb of God who come to take away the sin of the world. Just tying all of this together, weaving this together so that the people can start seeing the gospel all throughout the Old Testament and pointing to Jesus' death on that cross. That it was there to cover their shame, it was there to be in their place, and it was there to protect them from the wrath of God. And he says, and all you have to do is confess your faith in him, believe in him, follow him, Turn away from your sin and follow him. That's all you have to do. Later on, he wrote it out in Romans. He said, uh, what you have to do is believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you shall be saved. That is the gospel. That's the simplest form of the gospel. And he's telling them, this is what I was teaching you when I was there. That who gave himself up freely for our sins that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God and the Father, to whom be glory forevermore. But I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
in a nutshell, there are Judaizer, Judaizers who are coming, following Paul around. You can even see it in his missionary journey. They're, they, you know, they, 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 they're coming in behind him and they're distorting the truth. They're kind of ratcheting things up. There are even some who might be genuine Jewish Christians who are coming in behind him, teaching after he is gone, teaching that you must do certain things according to the Mosaic law. In other words, you must become a Jew before you become a Christian. And Paul is going, no, that is wrong. That is faith plus something does not equal sacrifice. Faith alone, or salvation. Faith alone equals salvation. Faith plus something does not equal salvation. And we can get caught up into that ourselves when we start thinking that faith plus the Lord's Supper equals salvation. This does not save us, what we are about to do later on. This will not save us. Faith plus baptism equals salvation. Getting in that water will not save us. All of these things are what we do because we are saved. Not to be saved. I remember when I was in college, again, I told you, I told you that I became a Christian at the age of 22. I went back to college and early on in that freshman and sophomore year, I got caught up into this thing where there were people going around teaching and evidence of your salvation is speaking in tongues. Well, I didn't speak in tongues. I didn't. And so I went around to pastors all over the town of Statesboro, Georgia, asking them to lay hands on me so I could get this here gift of tongues. I wanted to be able to be sure that I was saved. And there was finally one guy who said, why are you doing this? Don't you realize God gives gifts. You don't get to ask for your gift. God will give you what, what he wants you to have. And he showed me in the scriptures and all this. And there, were, and there came a time when I, this weight was lifted off my shoulders because I realized it was faith equals salvation not faith plus whatever it is and there are always people out there that faith plus good works faith plus baptism faith plus lord's supper faith plus whatever does not equal salvation faith alone that is the gospel. But these guys were getting, they, they said there were people coming amongst you. They're disturbing you. They're, they're, they're making you believe things other than what you were taught. Those things are not the gospel. He came to rescue you from that. When it comes to, when, he, when he's talking about rescuing us, because there, has been a, there was a time when the law was laid out there before us and people are trying to satisfy God by obeying the law. And the law is there to show us that we are sinners, not to save us. In Romans, it says that the law is there to show us that we tr who we truly are, that we cannot obey all of those laws. We are, if we try to do that, we are enslaved to those things. We are in bondage of those things. We cannot obey every one of those things. There is no way it can happen. But they are there to show us who we truly are. Sinners before a holy God. But he came to rescue us from that. To free us from that bondage of, of that. To salvation by faith. Justified by faith alone. So he's trying to tell, listen, don't, don't get caught up in all this stuff that these guys are trying to do. And, he, and, and, then, he, and then he, boy, he, he, he doubles down on this one. Look at what he says here. But even if we, he's talking about himself and the guys that are with him. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. 
There's going to, I don't know exactly what it means to be accursed, but that doesn't mean a gift card to Chili's. That doesn't mean a spa for the afternoon. That doesn't mean the Green Bay Packers get to win the Super Bowl this year, I hope. That's not what that means. That to be accursed is a bad thing, a negative thing. It's not something to look forward to. But he's saying, whoever comes, if we or an angel comes and preaches the gospel to you, they need to be accursed. And then he doubles down on that and he says, because he doesn't want them. I, I, I don't know why he did this, but I imagine if I said, listen, if I say anything to you guys or an angel shows up to you guys and says anything contrary to what was said here before, they should be accursed. And then someone stands up. Well, that doesn't include me because that only included you and the angels. And he doubles down here and he says, as we have said before, and so I say again, if any man is preaching, anyone, any person, if anyone is preaching you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. We know that just from reading Paul and all this, you know, from his stories and all that, Paul is not the most politically correct and people person there is in this book. And, 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 and I can imagine, I, I don't know how this was received. Can you imagine if someone stood up here in front of you and, and said something like, listen, if y'all go out and do that, if y'all serve that same thing at potluck again, you ought to be accursed. That stuff was not good. I don't know what that was, but it wasn't good. You, that, that, that needs to be, that's just wrong. That's just wrong to say something like that. But this is important enough. This is not just a potluck. This is eternity. This is foundation of eternity stuff gospel if anyone tries to tweak it to change it to do it and tell you anything contrary they need to experience a curse for am i now seeking the favor of men or of god or am i striving to please men if i were still trying to please men I would not be a bondservant of Christ. From his examples, when he talk, calls himself an apostle, and he talks about as he's been with them before, and they see his journey laid out and what he went through from the sufferings, the stonings, the mocking, the ridiculing, the running out of the cities and all that kind of stuff. As they see his life laid out, they, surely they know, okay, this guy is not around here just to please people. This guy's not around here just to make other people happy. He is there his, his only goal is to honor God in everything that he thinks and says and does. But he says here, I am not here to please man. How can I do that if I make myself a slave to God? Or some of your translations might say a bondservant to God. That, there's, no, there's no secondary definition of what that word means in the Bible when it used that word bondservant or slave or anything like that because some people say well that just means that that's a word used for when you willingly are, are a servant of someone when you willingly put yourself under the authority of someone that's not what that is a slave is a slave is a slave 
The word here that is used here is both negative and positive context, okay? So, so it's not like it's, there's a different word used for this slave that he's talking about here. He's talking about putting himself completely, surrendering everything to Christ, making himself a slave to Christ. And if he was willing to do that, to be a slave of Christ, that is your focus. That is your, that it's, it's almost like we've said in the past when we are ambassadors for Christ. We are representative of the kingdom of God. Those who call themselves Christians. We find that in 2 Corinthians 5, that we are ambassadors. We are to join him in the ministry of reconciliation. And to do anything else is not representing God. To do anything else is not being an ambassador of Christ. Here in the same way, he's saying, I, am a, I put myself under the authority of God in such a way that I am a slave to Christ. Why would I care what anybody else thinks? Why would I care what anyone else thinks? I, 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 I do like the picture, though, here of him putting himself as a slave under Christ because there are, there, there is, a, we can read back in, Exodus chapter 20, I believe, is right around the time that, um, let me just check, make sure I'm right. Yeah, Exodus, right around chapter 20 or so. Um, Moses is given the Ten Commandments, and right after that, there's just like chapter after chapter of instructions. And in chapter 21, he's given instructions on how you should treat Hebrew slaves. And, 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 and under that, if, if you were an owner of a Hebrew slave at that time, if you had bought yourself a, a Hebrew slave at that time, the scriptures teach us there in Exodus 21 that you can keep them that way. You can keep them as a slave for six years. And in the seventh year, you have to let them go. You have to give them their freedom papers. You have to let them, you know, they're gone. They're, they, they're free to go. But if they choose to want to remain under the authority of that slave owner, that master, and what they do is they take them to the doorpost. They go before God, they take them to the doorpost, and there is an awl on the doorpost that they pierce their ear. Basically, they open up their door, they put the guy's ear, the slave's ear right up in there, and they take an awl and they're piercing the ear. It's not like we do today when you go to the mall and you get, you know, you get, a little, you get your ear pierced. This is a little bit more, you know, can you imagine an awl? If you know what an awl is, it's like a big spike. Just, just imagine an awl in the doorpost. Somehow the door, when it closes, it's piercing your ears. There's a, there's a prick there, and it's a sign that you are a slave of this guy. I don't know if they wore an earring in that piercing. Some people have said that they actually use an awl with something that crushes, that makes, the, makes a certain symbol on the skin that stays there forever. I don't know how all that stuff works. All I know is that this had to be painful. The second thing I know is this, this was very public. It was at the doorpost. It was at the front door. It was, it was basically saying to everybody else, look, this guy wants to stay under my authority. This, or, or to him, this guy, it's kind of like baptism. I am being baptized to, to tell every, to declare everybody around that's within I that can see me. I am a follower of Jesus now. That's, 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 it's kind of like that. You're, you're out in the front, you're at the doorpost. There's people walking by, they're stopping to see, and they see this going on. They say, okay, that guy is putting himself under. He is wanting to be a slave of this master forever. So it was incredibly painful, very public. And I imagine between the slave owner and the slave, it was very personal. Paul said, I put myself, I make myself a slave. He didn't have to go to a doorpost to be pierced. 
He didn't have to experience that. The reason is Jesus had already been pierced. I believe that Jesus, because he was already pierced, Paul didn't have to go through all the suffering and the pain of, of what salvation means to be under his authority, to be a part of the family of God. Jesus was pierced. He experienced the pain. And it was very personal between Paul and Jesus. As Jesus encountered him on the road to, to Damascus, and as they had this conversation, and as Jesus is with him all this way, it's a very personal thing. And that's, and, and, and that's what the gospel is. It is not something that this church can do for you. It is not something that a sacrament can do for you. It is not something that even the closest person to you can do for you. It is a very personal thing between you and Jesus himself. His sacrifice is there to cover our shame. His sacrifice is there in our place. His sacrifice he went through it so that we wouldn't have to. We wouldn't have to experience the wrath of God. Paul is telling the church right off the bat, my authority that I have, that I've been teaching you these things is not from man, it's from God. This gospel is from God, not from man. Why are you listening to other men? Why aren't you listening to more of what God has to say? I have placed myself as a slave under him. You should too. And we'll see as he goes throughout this whole book of Galatians in the weeks ahead that he's going to be addressing certain things, individual things and, 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 and others as he goes through. But this is the, the, this is the part that we, you know, we really need to get. The gospel is not for sale. The gospel is not something that you can earn. You cannot be good enough. We cannot, man, we cannot do anything to deserve the good news of Jesus Christ. Nothing. All we can do is accept it. Repent of our life, turn to him, and live our lives in a way that honors him. Not because that saves us, but because once we experience his salvation, there's nothing we want more than to please him because of what he has done for us. I want us to bow our heads. Think through some of these things as we, as we wrap up our time together. Father, you have been so good to us. And there are times when we do ignore you and turn our backs on you and walk away from you and reject you. But you continually pursue us. Lord, help us to not take that for granted because there will come a day when you will not pursue us. It says there that if, if they continue in their sin in the scriptures, if they continue in their sins, then there will be a time when you will just let them pursue that sin and let them go. But even there, Father, you're still for them if they turn to you, if they turn towards you. 
Lord, help us to see that great love that you have for us, to experience that great love that you have for us, and to receive. To receive the assurance of your great love in our life. By turning away from our life, by re- turning away from those things that are displeasing to you and dishonoring to you and turning towards you, turning towards you and making you Lord and master of our life. We are grateful that we do not have to experience the wrath of God because of your sacrifice, Jesus. We're grateful that we do not have to experience the shame of our lives because of what you've done for us, Jesus. We're so thankful that this sacrifice that you gave of your life on our behalf, you did willingly to rescue us from the sin of this evil age that we live in. Thank you, Father. We are grateful for all that you have done. Help us to walk in a way that is worthy of your great love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, David. This morning we come, at this time we come to the, the celebration of the Lord's Supper.